Hello, hello, hello again, and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle. Can you imagine? We're on like episode 16 or something now. I didn't think I'd make it through one or two, and we're at 16. So thank you guys for all the support that you've been showing me uh, and coming back for all these wonderful guests that are way more important than I've ever been. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, let's start off with some some sponsors. Uh, Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. It is delicious stuff. I'm not going to continue to brag about how good it is. Just go buy some. Use BTC at checkout to get a 10% discount. Of course, toplobsta.com, the man for all of your graphic tees, hoodies, hats, shirts, belts, whatever. I don't know. So many things. Uh, and he is the one who does all the wonderful thumbnails for the show. Uh, he really is my partner at this point, but also if you use BTC at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on all of the wonderful clothes he has, like this don't hurt people and don't take their stuff shirt. And of course, anthemplanning.com, uh, emergency and crisis planning for your business or personal. Uh, we had Amy Lepore on the show, uh, what was that, two days ago, Wednesday, and it was a wonderful show. She's very knowledgeable. I'm sure that her business is amazing at what they do. Um, they are also executive producers of the show now, so give them your business. With that said, how is everybody doing? You guys ready for this wonderful guest we have tonight? He was the 2020 Libertarian Party president or vice presidential candidate. Uh, he is the host of My Fellow Americans, one of the best live internet shows in the planet. Uh, he's an all-around awesome guy, and his name is... Tasha's husband. How you doing, Tasha's husband? <laughs> I'm doing great, Josh. How are you doing, man? I'm hanging in there, Spike. Hey, man, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be on. And uh, before anyone asks, this behind me is the, uh, I forget what mountains they're called, but this is the one part of the Alaskan mountain range. I'm currently in uh, beautiful Wasilla, Alaska. Uh, I'm going to be speaking, uh, I'll be actually, be, tonight we're doing an event, and then tomorrow I'll be speaking at the Alaska Libertarian Party's Gold Rush event. And uh, I just got back from sightseeing. We we got to see Denali. We got to see uh, the Simpson River. We got to see all sorts of stuff. It's been and it's beautiful. I've never. I'm not sure how it's possible to have a perpetual 360 degree mountain view in every part of Alaska, but yet we have that. It's, it's beautiful here. But I'm happy to be on, man. Thanks. Oh, oh thanks oh. for having me on. Boomer, boomer in the camera already. Boomer, boomer moment, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I've been to Alaska once. I, I went to, I flew into Anchorage, and then I drove the to the Kenai Peninsula to a little place called the Homer Spit. I don't know how far away you are from there because I don't know much about Alaska, but there's this little bar. I don't there. know how. I yeah. There's this little bar there called uh, uh, what is it called? God, not, the Salty Dog. I guess it's like world famous. And uh, okay. the first night we were there, I went into the bar, and it was like you know, maybe eight o'clock, the sun was still out, you know, eight o'clock and we were drinking. And then all of a sudden it was like two 30 and I walked outside and the sun was still out and it was the weirdest feeling yeah. I've ever had in my life. But um, yeah, it's amazing. It's uh, night was when we got in uh, yesterday and first of all, we're four hours behind mountain, uh, uh, Eastern time, which is where we live in South Carolina. And so I was already kind of feeling it because I'm like, you know, it's, it's only eight here, but it's midnight back home. And then we ended up dancing at a place here and we went outside and it was like 1030. There was still it wasn't bright out, but it was like sundown time. And I'm like, 
well, this is weird because it's about 4.30 back home. So about the time the sun went down here, it was probably coming up where we live. So it's pretty cool stuff. Sure, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, it's it's a weird feeling, though, definitely. Your body's like, what's going yeah, on? Yeah. Why is the sun still out? What? Why is this happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you guys went dancing? I'm shocked that you guys went out dancing. Uh, for yes. those of you that don't know, Spike is an amazing ballroom dancer, right? Is that, is that what you guys do? Uh, well, some ballroom, mostly Latin dancing, salsa and bachata and stuff like that. And I know, I know when you're thinking, when you're looking at me, you think, this man is clearly an accomplished dancer. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I actually, yeah, we've, we've been dancing for, gosh, 13 years now. So we, we, tend, to, uh, we tend to go dancing wherever we can. And uh, I did not think that would be Alaska. I was not expecting to hear salsa music when we came to check into the place that we're staying at. Hey, people love to get down in Alaska, man. What else are you going to do? You As, apparently, so. I, you know, that's a good point. What else are you going to do out here? Look <laughs> at mountains and dance. How, how is the freedom to be able to do interviews with your shirt off again? <laughs> so here's the thing about that. I've done one interview with my shirt off in my entire life, right? And it was during the campaign. So technically, I'm back to keep my shirt on for the rest of my life season. No, I listen, I, it's funny because there's a bunch there. People got mad about that interview. Or some people got mad about it. But then they started looking through my profile pictures and found pictures of me on the beach with my shirt off. And they're like, look, he's a repeat offender. He always constantly taking his shirt off. And it was like, what do you do at the beach? Like, you know, this was like pictures of me lying down in the water at the or like lying down by the water at the beach. And so someone started a, uh, a libertarians must wear shirts at the beach caucus. Um, just to like, that. you know, it's like. It's like, yeah, guys, I, I think it's okay to wear a shirt, to not wear a shirt when you're sunbathing at the beach. But no, it's, it's, I will say this, the, the, I largely had the freedom to say mostly what I wanted to. Uh, it was more how I said things that sometimes were, you know, I was encouraged lovingly to, to find a different way to say it. So it's nice to have, you know, the, the breaks off fully and, and kind of go back to, I guess, my edgy ways of, of, of messaging um, you know, for example, I got to say on Kennedy a couple nights ago that, Hey, well, you know, we were talking about the police with, uh, I, with, she brings me in as a panelist on a lot of things. And so we'll have a conservative this time. It was, uh, uh, one of the editors in chief of heritage, uh, and then, uh, another, or someone with the heritage foundation and then, a, a progressive, I didn't know who she was, but she was a, a liberal. So they had the conservative and the liberal and, and me, and, uh, we were having a conversation about, uh, you know, AOC uh, calling for abolishing the police. Right. And so the conservative and the, and the liberal are going at it and they're, you know, doing their typical Republican Democrat talking points. And then at the end, you know, I, I gave my points, my libertarian points that, hey, maybe we should focus on holding bad police accountable and maybe getting rid of these police unions and getting the federal government out of policing. Why, why should they even be involved in that? But then at the end, I said, well, you know, if you think about it, if we did abolish the police, progressives wouldn't have anyone to enforce all their taxes and mandates and laws and gun control and taxes and all that fun stuff. Maybe this is a utopia in the making. Maybe we should rethink this thing. The heritage guy starts laughing. The liberal was not happy. Yeah. Uh, she was not pleased at all. And, uh, but that's the kind of stuff that I'm free to do now. So I, I, I definitely enjoy that. Yeah. I actually, I watched that, uh, that, that Kennedy, um, episode with you on it and it was it was good and you talked a little uh, quite a bit about the police unions which i mean really is the biggest problem um big problem and for those of you who don't know spike laying down in the beach with his shirt off is actually from a calendar that i hope you guys never find because i'm also 
in that calendar. <laughs> I am definitely Mr. Yeah. March in a dad bod calendar. You are 100% Mr. March. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the boys of summer, right? Cause you were, you were dressed up a, a major league baseball, baseball. Theme. Yeah. Cause that's, you know, that's when the, the, that's when the baseball season starts around March. And so I was like, ah, I'll do a baseball for spread. It'd be great. And, oops. <laughs> be a real shame. If y'all were to go to libertarian dad bod.com. <laughs> And uh, I don't even know if they have any more calendars left. Honestly, I sold so many on the campaign trail to help the campaign. Oh, I did we too, may have sold yeah. out on those. Yeah, I sold them yeah, because yeah, I was yeah. running for chair at the time. So I sold a bunch and yeah, I was yeah, yeah. signing them with Sharpies. And I'm like, oh, man, I did, of all the things that I think I, I thought I'd be autographing in my life. Right. Uh, this dad bod calendar is like selling out. Great. <laughs> I, re- I remember flying on a plane and I've got Matt Hicks, who was my campaign manager. And he's saying, you sign this one to, you know, Becky and you sign this one to Steve and you sign this one to whatever. And I'm sitting here signing calendars of me like this with my shirt off. And I'm like, I wonder if I peaked now. Like, is this my peak? <laughs> and and it wasn't, which is it was a nice feeling that that wasn't my peak because I was concerned that that might be my peak, that my peak is me signing like dad bod calendars of me looking relatively doughy. Uh, on, uh, you know, certainly not, uh, 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 I certainly didn't look, I looked like a very ironic swimsuit model, put it that way. And, uh, so thankfully I've, I've gone on to, 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 to bigger things since then, but that no, was definitely fun. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing with the police unions is that, you know, we know public employee unions are a problem in general, right? Like you have an organization that is funded by tax dollars that is advocating for more tax dollars. Their membership is made up of agents of government, uh, and this is any public employee union, um, agents of government who often can affect our lives in major ways, and it's crucial that they be held accountable, but those unions are pushing for them to be held less accountable. So they want more of our money, and they want less accountability to us. Now, that's bad in any situation. I mean, we've seen what the teachers' unions have done. Um with the police, it's an especially bad situation because the police aren't just in, you know, able to control uh, or have a major effect on our lives. They're authorized to use deadly force uh, if they if if they've decided that that that's necessary to do. And in theory, they have restrictions on that. But if any time they use it, they have a powerful multi-million dollar organization that backs them up immediately and begins putting propaganda out against the people that they've shot. You know, th- this is a really incredible a really bad setup that that exists here and you know it, it is very um I, I would say it's schadenfreude but i'm trying to be more mature it is very edifying to witness people who often are defending unions especially public employee unions who at least understand that police unions are a major problem and a major part of the problem sure sure it's uh it's it's a really funny issue because it's like it's almost like the the Democrats are fighting against their own interest and the Republicans are fighting against their own interest. And, and yes, we talk, I think I talked about with this, this with Liberty lock pod Clint from Liberty lockdown. Uh, it's like the, the Republicans want a stronger police force, but yes. those are the people who are going to come and take their guns. And the Democrats want to defund the police and get rid of the police, but those yeah. are the people they need to enforce all the laws and re- regulations that they yep. want to go. Yep. Yep. It's yep. just, yep. it's it's really, really wild to watch them do that. Um, yeah. but anyways, what's going on? What's going on with Spike, man? I want to know what you, what have you been up to? Look, we watched your campaign 
I mean, you know, it, it was it was great. I thought you were great. I thought you did really well. I thought your messaging was pretty on point most of the time. I didn't really find myself disagreeing with you. But what have you been up to since the campaign ended last year? So it's interesting. I thought when the campaign ended, I hoped that I would still. Well, I always intended to be very active in the in the movement afterwards and in the party afterwards. But I thought there'd be sort of this period of time where people would be like, all right, the campaign's over. We're going into the holiday season. Maybe we'll talk to Spike, you know, in January or February or something like that. What I found was that, if anything, Election Day was sort of the beginning uh, in terms of the the amount of people reaching out to me. I got more people reaching out to me, not just, uh, you know, um, uh, Libertarian Party members and activists and, and, you know, voters and things like that, but major media, um, way more attention after the fact than even during and running up to the campaign. Um, and so where I thought I'd get a little bit of a break between, you know, like between um, election night and maybe say maybe February, January, something like that. That's actually like I didn't get a holiday season. I, I went straight into it and uh, I had a little break in terms of traveling. But my first event after the election day that I traveled to uh, was in December. Um, and then and I've been doing stuff ever since then. Every single month I've been at least a couple places since then. And I've been to since I've been there, I've been to a few places in the Carolinas, but I've been to California. I've been to Tennessee. I've been to Oklahoma. I've been to Iowa, Alabama. I've not been to Iowa yet, but I'm, I, we, we, I want to oh, get that there. was on the campaign. Um, that was on the campaign. That was on the campaign trail. Yeah, this is after right. the fact. And now I'm in Alaska. And uh, next week I'm going to be in Wisconsin. And then the week after that, I might be in Tennessee again. Um, you know, it's and, and then and all sorts of events that I'm doing on Zoom and everything else. So during the campaign, I was in a different state almost every day. Now I'm in a different state almost every weekend. So the travel schedule isn't quite as busy. But the interview and appearance schedule is actually slightly busier than it was during the during the campaign. Um, we actually did the numbers. I've gotten more national media attention uh, post campaign than Joe and I got during combined during the entire campaign, which says something about when media is willing to pay attention to libertarian. Sure, sure. Well, and speaking of Joe, uh, mm -hmm. you you guys you guys were on the same ticket. You ran the mm -hmm. same campaign, but it seemed mm -hmm. like two very separate campaigns going on. Um, yeah. Is that how it felt for you? Did it feel like a separate, like a completely separate campaign for you? So there were two aspects to why. And yes, to some extent, I mean, we were running for the same thing. We were running for Joe Jorgensen to get elected president and by virtue of that to, for me to get elected vice president. But when I would show up to events, I wasn't going and saying, hey, folks, here's why I should be vice president. I was saying, hey, folks, here's why Joe Jorgensen should be president. Um, now, with that said, it, it, there certainly were uh, many times that it felt as though two separate campaigns were being run, or at least the campaign was being run in two two separate ways. And there was there was two reasons for that. Number one, there was the fact that you know we could by splitting up and going into different areas cover much more territory. Which and this is something I'm I'm lobbying for. Why I believe that we need to pick our nominees sooner than we do. I think instead of May. Uh, and this year it was even worse because we didn't actually have the convention till July, the physical convention till July. Uh, so we only had like four months to campaign, not not even quite four months to, to campaign heavily. Um, I think we should be picking our candidates in like December of the previous year or January of, of that year at the at the or at the latest. 
um, just to give them some more time to campaign. Yes, the Republicans and Democrats don't pick their candidate until like September, but it's already obvious who's going to be the winner way before that. And they're getting all this, you know, free media and all this other stuff. There's no reason we should be waiting that long. But with that said, um, because we only had a limited period of time to hit the ground running, we felt like it would be better to kind of do to run like that. But here's the other aspect of it. When two people come to run for a, a position and they weren't coming on the same ticket. So this wasn't Joe Jorgensen got the nomination and then said, I'm picking Spike Cohen for the VP slot. This was two separate campaigns, one for president and one for vice president. And in fact, when Joe got the nomination, she actually she didn't uh, explicitly endorse anyone. But she actually said, you know, I, I, I my pick would be John Mons, but I respect whoever whoever you choose. And then the and then the delegates chose me. So coming into something like that and the fact that I already had a campaign team that was coming with me, that had been working with me um, from when when I was running for the nomination. And then after that, many uh, uh, members of other campaign teams started joining mine. So like uh, most of the uh, Ruff Phillips people, the Kim Ruff, John Phillips people came over to my team. Uh, most of the Vermin Supreme people came over to my team or a good number of them did. Uh, we had some of the Mons people that came over to our team. Um, we had a couple of the Armstrong people that came over. We had you know people that came over. And uh, as a result of that, there was sort of two teams that were trying to merge together and make a team. There was also the fact that Joe and my style are, are, are much different. Joe is, um, she's not much older, but she is older. And she is more of, I guess, a traditional uh, a politician that would uh, be more typical of what, you know, voters that have watched, you know, Boomer and Gen X candidates run like, sure. whereas I am very much I, I'm an old millennial, but I'm very much running a more millennial friendly campaign. It's not that it's not friendly to others, uh, but millennials and Gen Zers are going to, uh, you know, be a lot more receptive to a meme based campaigning and, and edgy and much more edgy ways of, of marketing and messaging and things like that. There's no wrong way to do this. It's just a matter of different styles. So I think all those things combine uh, to there being this sort of separate feel there. Sure, sure, yeah. Well, and so, you know, I mean, let's state the obvious. You've continued, and mm. we, we don't know where Joe's at. So <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. You know, that's something as, yeah. as a party member for this party, I appreciate you using the status that you've earned from your campaign to continue. That working. was always my intention. Right. Yeah. And and that's, that was going to be my next question is what are your intentions going forward? Are, are you going to continue to try to bolster the Libertarian Party? Is that why you're still traveling around? Is that why you're still doing these shows and talking about liberty based stuff? Right. The Libertarian Party, the Libertarian Movement, the Libertarian Message. I think the Libertarian Party is an important aspect of how we move liberty forward. I do not believe it is the only one. I'm not certain it's the most uh, the most powerful or important one. It is an important one, but there's also just reaching out to the liberty movement in general. There's getting in front of as many people as possible with a liberty-based message that isn't explicitly tied to a specific campaign or party. There's also engaging in what anarchists call prefiguration, which is creating the society that we want to tell people it works much better than the state as much as we can now. So that looks like mutual aid. That looks like agorism. That looks like encouraging people to get involved in the blockchain and in cryptocurrency. By the way, I just figured out break the cycle BTC. That's beautiful. Did someone um, just but, someone I, just I, realized that the other day for the first time? I'm like, how did you guys not know? Like, this the whole time. I, 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 
I did not know. So when you're saying, you know, use code BTC, and I'm like, why is he using? Oh, that's cool. Anyway, so <laughs> these are things that we can do to show people that you know, it's one thing to tell someone, hey, listen, uh, we don't need government. We can do better things better ourselves. And when they ask, well, how and, and prove it, instead of us start talking about, I mean, it's good for us to talk about ideas like free free market economics. It's good for us to talk about ideas like self-ownership, non-aggression, property rights. It's good to talk about these things. But some people, you talk about those things and they're going to say, that sounds like ideas and, and theories. That doesn't sound like real things. But if you can show them actual examples, actual free market examples of the invisible hand working, you know, the actual market working without, not just without government coercion, but despite government coercion that often makes it more difficult for us to do it, that helps push them push the message along as well. So yeah, that's what I plan to be doing is going around in person and online to spread the message of liberty as best I can uh, and to network and work with others who want to push the message forward for liberty as best as we can working together. Um, how that looks within the party, that looks like me doing events like Gold Rush, talking to people about effective libertarian messaging, talking to them about how to build a culture of winning within the party, which also means talking about the culture of losing that we often have within the party and how to kill that in a fire and bury it much further than six feet below the ground so that we never do that again and focus instead on how we can actually win, how we are winning races across the country and how we can do more of that and how eventually and, and even now we can begin to scale that up and win even bigger races. Um, and that's what I plan to be doing uh, as long as my uh, body and wife will allow me to. Sure, sure. And, and that's, you know, as someone who has put his entire heart and soul into the Libertarian Party for yep. uh, half a decade now, or over half a decade at this point, you know, I traveled to 40 states over the oh, last yeah. four years. I, I, uh, I took a lot on the chin, a lot every day, you know, my family trashed all the shit. Um, and there is this real culture of losing in the party that that's like comfortable for people. I mean, it really is. It's like they've been doing it for so long that they're used to it. So it doesn't like, it doesn't affect them anymore. They don't, it doesn't, it doesn't make them want to work any harder. And I, and Oh, you got those big Alaska flies out there. At least it's not the yeah, mosquitoes, dude. So like the whole time I'm here, I'm like, well, at least there aren't any flies I'm dealing with. And literally I come out here and I got my two <laughs> friends here flying around with well, me. So you, you need to um, look out for the mosquitoes there, dude. They call the, they call the mosquitoes, the state bird there. So I'm being told that it's just a little too cold for them to come out and that if I'm here a month later, then I'll, I'll get to see them in full force. I come from South Carolina where I deal with a lot of mosquitoes. I'm told it's even worse here. I'm not coming back in May. That's just not that's I will come when there aren't mosquitoes because I already live somewhere where they're bad and I'm told they're way worse. Here. Yeah, they, <laughs> so I don't I, I, no, thank you. Yeah, they call them the and state bird me. there. Yeah, the, I've heard that the state yeah. bird and I've got some sweet, sweet Jew blood that mosquitoes absolutely <sighs> love. And, uh, so I, 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 definitely like, they leave my wife alone and I'm like, that's, that's kind of racist. But anyway, so I, um, at anywhere or anti-Semitic at the very least. Um, but so, you know, the thing, I, I think what's happened, I think what happened with the culture of losing, I think it started as a coping mechanism. So if you figure what it must be like when a political party was started in someone's living room back in Denver 50 years ago, and this is a political party. Uh, and they're having to, you know, they're having to sign an oath not to use force because the, you know, the, there are threats that the Nixon administration is going to label them a subversive group or something like just the, the, the atmosphere and the and the the environment of what that must have been like. And then, you know, the first few years, you don't win a single thing, nothing. You don't win any local rate, nothing. You've got dozens of members. And then over time, that grows. But you also see the growing resistance to what you're trying to do. 
And so as kind of a coping mechanism, you start to find the silver linings where you can and you start to pattern seek on what's wrong. The problem is if that isn't turned into an actionable way to move forward and if then if instead the, the comfort is found in that you now are in a perpetual state of blaming things that are out of your control instead of looking for things that are in your control and then turning around and trying to uh, because you don't have really good actionable things to work on like swatting these flies away like you because you don't have really good actionable things to work on you start nesting and you start blaming each other and so there's this this four-year cycle i call it a cycle of losing and it starts right around this time of year actually just a little bit before this in like february of the year of, of after uh, a presidential election and we get together and we have our meetings and we get online and we go to our conventions and all this stuff and and we fantasize about what's going to happen when we finally take over, libertarians win the White House, we win Congress and the Senate, we take over all the state houses and we end the Fed and we end the wars overseas and we end the IRS and taxation and we end the war on guns and we set people free from cages and camps and we allow the healing to begin and you know the cost of everything goes down because we've ended the Fed and we've gotten government out of healthcare and housing and higher education and the world begins to heal. We've seen a America or a world actually set free in our time and we have ended the cult of the omnipotent state. And then we focus most of our attention on races that those of us who are the most seasoned know that we have little to no chance of winning. We focus on president. We focus on Senate. We focus on Congress. We focus on governor's races. We focus on the races that we say are going to get the message out there. Right. And we often ignore or at least spend a lot less time focused on the races that we actually can win. City council races, county council races, possibly sheriff's races, mayoral races, state legislative races, races that have an acute effect on the everyday lives of, of the same people that we're trying to set free at the federal and, and state level. But we don't focus on those because they aren't as sexy and they aren't as easy to, to focus on. We can focus on that. I, I, I'm already having I can't tell you how many people have already asked me. Are you going to run for president in 2024? And it's like, OK, how about the thousand people I want to get elected, you know, by 2022 at local races? I think that that's a much better thing to pay attention on. But so because we don't focus on that, we start preparing ourselves for loss. We're not being included in the debates uh, or sometimes we are like we had uh, a Ricky Harrington that Tom Cotton actually wouldn't show up to. We had uh, Donald Rainwater who, who participated in a debate. Uh, and did a lot. Did very well as Destroyed. a result of that. I mean, he was um, amazing, amazing. Oh, he killed! I was actually there at the first debate watch party. He absolutely stomped uh, the uh, Holcomb and and I forget the the other the Democrats' name, but he just went in there and just laid waste, and he got double digits. And it, I think that was a direct reflection of that performance. But in most cases, we don't get there. We don't get on the debate stage. We often aren't included in the polling. We watch the media ignore us, and then you know we get. 1%, 3%, half a percent, whatever. We don't get 5%. We don't get double digits. We don't come in second. We don't win. We're not on the debate, the debate stage. We don't really accomplish the things that we were hoping to. We certainly don't take over DC and end the Fed and, and, and the wars and, and set America free. And so after that happens, we start raising our fists to the sky in anger. They'll never let us participate. This blasted corporate system, the media will shut us out and the politicians will make it harder for us to even be on the, the ballot and you know, we're never going to get on the debate stage and the system's rigged. We're all going to die. We're, we're, you know, we're all doomed. And then we, we kind of nurse our wounds uh, over the holiday season. And then we come back uh, to repeat the four year cycle uh, fresh again right here during election uh, during convention season. 
And the reality is that's never going to become a successful cycle. It's always going to be like we talk about breaking the cycle. That's not a successful cycle. That's a cycle where we can continue to slowly grow the way that we are. But at our current pace, it could take two, three, four generations before we get where we want to go. And God knows all the stuff that can happen in between then. And so my thing is this. If we know that we can win certain races and we know it's not rocket science, it's get involved in your communities, it's pick candidates, uh, it's, it's grow your local and state affiliates, it's actually grow at the grassroots level in your communities, it's get out there and get your message out there, it's find good candidates in those local roles that can run good campaigns and then work on those campaigns, help those campaigns to be able to get across the finish line. And then once they're in there, you know, continue plowing forward on, on presenting the, the bold uh, solutions that you had, even if everyone else in there is fighting against you, show the voters that you were going to do what you were going to do and work to get more people in there. We know that that works. We know that it's continuing to work. Why in the hell aren't we primarily focused on that? Instead of asking me, hey, Spike, are you running for president? Ask instead, hey, Spike, you know, how can we get 50 libertarians elected in, in my state or 100 libertarians elected in my state? Because that can actually, the likelihood of that happening is far higher than the likelihood of someone with an L next to their name getting elected to the White House in 2024. It just, it is what it is. So let's focus on that. When you do that, then not only do you kill all the main narratives for why, pe why people don't vote for us, oh, you can't win. Yeah, we do win. We just won a bunch of races. Or, you know, oh, your ideas sound like a pipe dream. No, they work. This is how they're working in city councils across the country. Uh, oh, I only hear from you for a few months every four years. No, you hear from us all the time. You hear from us in your cities and counties and states uh, all the time. Not only do we kill all the main narratives for why people don't vote for us, not only do we actually get people elected and build up a slate of libertarians that can run for higher races, but we also stop the fighting that's happening in the party. When you give people something actionable to work towards, they're less likely to fight each other. And then we remember why we were in the party together to begin with. And even if we don't agree on every single major issue, even if we don't necessarily agree on whether we like this person or dislike this person, we're working together. One of the only silver linings to all the ballot access fights we have is that it gives us something to fight together on. That we all get together to make sure we can get all, all 50 state ballots. And you know, let's apply that same camaraderie and 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 fight and and grit and determination to creating actionable goals at the local level and at the statewide level to actually get libertarians working together, to actually get libertarians elected, and then to eventually work and scale that up so that we are winning those big races. That's how we do it. It's never going to happen with some strong man that's going to step into place and fix everything and you know give the single libertarian message that's going to win all of the voters to the yard. It, it, it doesn't work that way. We have to show folks why liberty works most people need to see that it works so let's show them let's show them that it actually works hi kids do you like violence yeah. are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants if so then come join me dan smots on the system is down where we get weird have fun and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies politics religion culture current events and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the thanksgiving dinner table and i know that reality is scary to some people so if you're easily offended just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever but if you're ready to change the world for the better come join me on the system is down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over sure yeah absolutely and uh hey man you may have been the third uh, highest vote getter for vice president in this country but you are definitely the best fly tamer mike pence had nothing on you bud nothing you see what's happening here right <laughs> like, this is, 
if I had been on that debate stage, that fly would have taken one look at me and been like, no, this yeah. is too diff- this. He's too good with the this. So I talk Jewishly. Right. So I'm already moving my hands around a lot. It's not a hospitable territory for, for flies or any kind of creepy crawlies or, or flyers already. But once I know they're here and I, you know, I can see my reflection now, I, I'm even more active on it and they really can't get me. They really can't get to me. No, Mike Pence just I don't think he felt. No, I, no feeling I think his up hair there. helmet was so yeah, I had no I don't know if it's just a lack of nerve endings <laughs> or just that the hair helmet was so strong. Uh, that he couldn't hear, they couldn't feel it, but no, it just it just stayed there. That would have never happened. I, mean, I think it was the lack never... of soul, mostly, is what probably <laughs> probably had that accomplished. I feel this if I had a soul. Yeah, that's a good theory. That's a good theory. Yeah, if he if he had, had been a heart a heartful person, you know, he he might have felt the fly on his head. But but uh, have the heart to stop. Yeah, no no such luck. So uh, Joe Biden's talking about bringing the troops home from Afghanistan. Man, how do you feel about that? You think that you think that's going to happen? So, it interests me that this is how it's being phrased by major media. It's how you know the rope dope's coming. Because here's the truth. We already had an agreement to get out of Afghanistan. It was negotiated during the Trump administration. It was to get out before, on or before May 1st. That is the agreement that the U.S. government has with the Taliban right now to continue this ceasefire until the troops leave in a couple of weeks they were supposed to, okay? Now, Joe Biden announces, great news, everyone. We're gonna leave Afghanistan on September 11th. <laughs> now, and the media, instead of saying Joe Biden is breaking a treaty or a ceasefire with the Taliban unilaterally, which is inevitably going to lead to uh, the uh, Taliban fighting back when we refuse to leave. And honestly, at this point, uh, they have every reason to say we're not even going to honor it till May 1st. I have a feeling they're going to even wait past May 1st just to say, hey, listen, we gave you until May 1st like we agreed to. And then, you know, a- a- why is the media not covering it as Joe Biden breaks a promise? Here's why. Because when the Taliban attacks or I shouldn't even say attacks because it's their country. When the Taliban fights back against the U- continued U.S. presence past when the agreed to withdrawal date is, then Joe Biden and the military industrial complex will be able to say, well, we were going to leave on September 11th, but they're attacking us and they're attacking civilians. And, you know, now troops are dying and we can't leave. We can't cut and run and surrender and negotiate with terrorists. So we have to stay here until. And then they just stay here. They stay there indefinitely. Now, we're already seeing the articles about how, well, you know, leaving Afghanistan threatens the pluralism and women's rights that are growing in in Afghanistan. Right. Okay, like smash the patriarchy by drone bombing schools and weddings and hospitals. Right. And so they're already starting the message of why we shouldn't leave so that when the Taliban inevitably goes, yeah, you broke the ceasefire. So we are under no obligation to keep it. Now that creates the narrative for why we can never, ever leave Afghanistan. They won't say it that way. They'll say, we can't leave now. We can't change horses midstream or whatever nonsense. It's like, we can't let these, these uh, bigoted patriarchs take over Afghanistan when we're there fighting for women's rights, you know, the, fighting for the, the, the opium growers who are grooming children for, for you know, molesting them, you know, the, the good guys in the fight. Right. Um, and this is what they're going to do. But it's interesting that the media is literally saying Joe Biden's announced we're leaving. No, he's announcing we're not leaving until four months, four and a half months later, which is going to trigger a fight against the Taliban, who was only ceasing fire because we said we were leaving in May. That is how strongly the military industrial complex controls the narrative, not just in this country, but around the world. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And 
20 years from now, when that war is still raging on, we'll get uh, a whole yes. new set of Afghan papers that oh, will gosh. tell us exactly what they did and why they did it. And more people will imagine. not care. What do you what do you think the cognitive dissonance is in this country? I mean, what we, we literally can go and right now type into Google the Afghan papers. And, mm. and you can see clearly that, that our government lied us into the war in Afghanistan, knowing that there was no way it was winnable. That, that there was no reason we should be going there. And they, they lied us into that war. What is the cognitive dissonance there? I mean, what is what is creating that in this country? Do you think it's the, the bipartisan so I, arguing or what? It is definitely the there is an aspect of the of the Republican Democrat good cop, bad cop routine working as intended where people go, well, that's bad, but it's important that we stop the party I hate more than the party that I vote for. But it's also that a lot of people this is where the corruption and lies and fraud and abuse that is inherent in in the state, but especially in the Republican state, is actually a feature and not a bug. They want people to get so beaten down and so just inundated with constant reminders of just how corrupt and out of control and 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 dishonest and and fraudulent and violent that the people in charge are that they go well, yeah, but what are you going to do about it? That's just how it is. You know, you know how they are. I mean, it's politicians. And, you know, oh, are you telling me politicians are corrupt? Well, I never heard of such a thing. And when you tell them, okay, but I thought we were, I thought the point of this government is that we get to vote for who we have. And they're like, yeah, that's the bedrock of our democracy that you get to vote for them. I'm like, yeah, but you've already acknowledged that they're all garbage and you're not going to vote against them because that's just how it is. It's intentional. And so there's the cognitive, the cognitive dissonance isn't so much in, in the acknowledgement of, of the Afghan war being a corrupt lie and a fraud. It, the cognitive dissonance comes in recognizing and openly acknowledging all of that and saying, but I got to keep voting for him because otherwise that other guy's going to win. You know, the guy that works with my guy to screw us over every single day and that I hate about that. And I talk about it constantly, how much I hate it. But if I don't vote for him, I'm going to get his friend over there that he works with. Dad, we got to stop his friend. And that's, you know, that's where the cognitive dissonance gets in. And that's where it's important for libertarians to create a new binary because people think in binaries. It is what it is. We're pattern seekers. We think in binaries. Um, typically speaking, there is a there is a binary, but the binary isn't Republican A versus Republican B. It's not Republican versus Democrat. The binary is the Republicans who have created a system whereby they've robbed the people, all of us, of our power, our freedom, our decision-making abilities, and of course our money, so that they can hand all of that over to the cronies who put them in office, so that they can have this basic constant, you know, uh, a Ponzi schemed uh, uh, shell game where they rob us and convince us that they're doing something good for us, in which we all kind of recognize that's not true. We, the Republicans, or libertarians who recognize that the republicans have created this problem and who have actual solutions to fix those problems and who recognize that the people do best when they are most free so that we can get into office and take all that power and money and freedom back and give it back to the people put it back in the hands of the people where it always belonged that's the new binary that has to be created and the way that we do that that's why i love doing these panels that's why i love going in between a, a, a you know a republicrat and a republicrat letting them argue a little bit and then saying, you're both right. You're both corrupt and hypocritical and wrong and bad about this issue. And here's why. And I don't necessarily say it that way, but I just let them talk. And I, I, I attack the conservatives talking points from his 
perspective. I attack the liberals talking points from from his or her perspective. And then I give the libertarian take on it. And almost without fail, every single time that that happens, one of the uh, one of the, the panelists will kind of like begin just agreeing with me and kind of shaking their head. Oh, that's Spike. But, you know, he's got some good point. And the other one just shuts down emotionally. So in the last panel, it was the, the Sarah lady who just I mean, she rolled it. She just completely gave up on 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 the situation there. I think she was nervous and I think it was her first time on something like that. So I, w- I want to be nice to her because I think she probably was just very nervous. But she kind of gave up. And the Heritage Foundation guy was like, that's funny. That's a good point. So that's that's and, and there have been times where it's been the opposite. I was I have done panel. I did a panel in Chicago where the uh, where it was the conservative that was you know very big mad at the end of it and had kind of stopped talking. And it was the Democrat at the end who was like, you know, actually, I think I might be a libertarian more. I think about it. So, I mean, it, it depends on, on who who decides to just go with the flow and who decides to just get run over by it. But, you know, they can't beat our truth with their lies. So I don't want to argue with them. I just tell them the truth. Sure. Yeah. And I like to, I like to refer to it as tribalistic chess beating team sports. Yes. It's really what it is at this point. I mean, it's, it is that, yeah. it's, and, and, and you got to find some sweet irony in Donald Trump leaving office, Joe Biden coming in and saying, you know, I think we got to build the wall. You know, I think we're going to leave these kids in the cages. Like it's shit. Like it sucks. It's horrible that these things are happening, but you got to find some sweet irony in there somewhere. If it wasn't the mass suffering that's happened as a result of it, right? Right. And not just that, you know, we talk about the mass suffering of the of the the children and families in cages, the people that are having to go to coyote smuggling rings to come into the into the country to flee the violence in their home countries that's being caused by the war on drugs and the CIA working directly with freaking narco terrorists to take over a country, like all the suffering there. And then we, what about the suffering of the private property owners in Texas and other border states who are having their property stolen from them, their land stolen from them to build a wall that they certainly don't want, that's destroying the value of their land. They're being given pennies on the dollar for it. You know, what about the people who are pulled over in a, in a border patrol raid 50 miles from the border and searched without due process? And then, you know, they find a little weed on them. So they charge them with a federal, you know, drug crime, even though they, they didn't, and, and they presume the authority not to have to go through due process because they claim some kind of emergency border authority or some nonsense like that. You know, what about there are many, many, many victims, the migrants and also American citizens who are victims of this war on migration and war on the border. But yes, there is a very, very sweet irony in watching, you know, the cages aren't cages anymore. During that same panel on another discussion that we were having, um, the the uh, the progressive lady, the liberal lady, she says, you know, Biden's doing a lot. He's building more shelters. And I went, cages, those are called cages. Um, those are camps. They're camps and cages. They're not shelters. Uh, a shelter is something that you want to go to. A cage is something you can't leave or a camp is something you can't leave. And, you know, this is, yes, the, the insane irony that the Biden administration is continuing the status quo of the Trump administration, who was rhetoric aside, continuing the status quo of the Biden administration or the Obama administration. In fact, same thing. Donald Trump, for all of his tough, t- you know, same thing. Exactly. The old Bush Biden Trump administration uh, and throw Reagan and Clinton in there as well. Um, and Carter, for that matter. But, you know, here you have, you know, all of his rhetoric. Donald Trump actually deported fewer people in his first term than Obama did in his first term. And Joe Biden might end up deporting more people than, than Trump did. So for all of Trump's talk on the border, well, they're not sending their best. Well, you certainly didn't seem to care as much as Obama. and Trump. The one thing that I love that Trump did during the debates, and I still continue to use it, is when Joe Biden was talking about the cages and the cage and Donald Trump said, 
Who built the cages, Joe? <laughs> Possibly my favorite thing that Donald Trump has ever said, because Joe Biden had no good answer to it, and he still doesn't. I, I will continue to ask him that. Who built the cages, Joe? Who's building these new cages, Joe? And the wall. Continuing the wall. And the wall. And, and, the, built the, and wall, the, war on, the war on pot. I mean, all the stuff that, yeah. that the Democrats are like, Joe's going to come in here and do all this stuff. And he's like, ha just kidding. I'm actually uh, Donald Trump in a Joe Biden skin suit. Yeah, fooled you kids. <laughs> and I got away with it, too. Yeah. No, it's uh, you know, who, who built the, the uh, uh, quasi-fascist corporatist police state, Joe? Like, it, it's, it is who would have thought that the architect of every bad policy to come out of D.C. in the past several decades, the ones that people are marching in the streets in anger against, and his running mate, uh, who is one of the most brutal enforcers in recent memories of those laws that he created at the federal level, who thought that they would come in and keep the status quo of, of all the bad things that we're all against going? Who, I, 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 it caught me by surprise. I should tell you that. Well, this is, this is not uh, an isolated incident. We, people like to fail up in politics. I mean, it's just how it works. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, and I use the example of Gavin Newsom in California. He was the mayor of San Francisco yeah. when San Francisco yeah. was one of the most beautiful cities in the country. Okay, and he destroyed it so bad that he, he I mean, he should have probably stepped down halfway through his term. And and instead of being like, OK, Gavin Newsom, bad California's like, ah, we're going to make him the governor. Why not? Let's Fuck make it. Him governor. <laughs> make him governor. Let's make him governor. And then when they recall him, which is very likely to happen, I mean, it's a very two, good chance. Two point seven million uh, signatures on his recall now. So when they recall him, the odds that they replace him with kind of him again, someone's just been another name and body are very high. And, 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 and even if it's a Republican, it's very the odds of them picking another big government. You know, the problem is that we just have the wrong person in charge of government. Um, you know, people got mad at Donald Trump when he would say that, except he was really he was just saying the loud part loud. It's the quiet part loudly. But really, he's saying what every other you know Republican politician says. The problem is that it's not me in charge. It's just Donald Trump would literally say it. Right. Like and I'm, I'm no Trump fan, even remotely. Anyone who follows me knows that. Uh, but there's something special about going, yeah, no, I'm just going to say it. The problem is that I'm not in charge of everything. Okay. Well, I, at least you're honest about it. At least you're honest that that's what the problem, that you think that's the problem. Everyone else just comes up with these more, you know, uh, uh, uh subtle ways to say, no, the problem is not the system. The problem is not that the transmission's broken in the car. It's that I'm not the one doing the shifting. So it's, it's some, it's very wild stuff. Yeah, it is, man. It's 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 hard to watch as a libertarian for sure. But like I said, there's always yeah. you always get these little sweet bits of irony every once in a while. Where you're like, hey, do you like that taste of your own medicine? Or no, it's not good. Yeah. Come on, come on over. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it would be it would be a pure on laugh fest if it wasn't the suffering that we know is happening as a result of it, right? Like like you said, you know, you you hear about all these terrible these bad policies. I would love for it to be a movie so I could look and be like, hey, you didn't think they were going to do that? But they, I totally called it. But because those are actors and then they go in and hang out in the food, food service table afterwards after they, they shop. But we know this is like real things happening. Real people's lives are being destroyed. You know, when we're talking about the war on drugs, we can sit there and go, hey, you thought he was going to make the weed legal. And full. But, we, but we see people whose lives are being sure. destroyed because of that continued war on pot or that continued war on other drugs or, you know, we can, you know, so yes, it's important that we remind people that, yeah, this is what we said would happen. And yeah, we can certainly enjoy our just, just desserts, but I, I can tell you, I, I would much rather this be something that I was proven wrong on. I, someone said to me, you know, what would you say if Joe Biden does do this and that and this and that and this and that? And I'm like, I would be happy. Yeah. And I'd say, great job. Yeah. I still disagree with him on this and this and this, but if he does do that, 
fantastic. I'm glad to be wrong. I will happily eat crow while people suffer less. Absolutely, 100%. Sure, absolutely. Um, how does it feel to know that two years ago uh, you were interviewing me and now you're so <laughs> famous that I'm interviewing you? With a mountain range behind me. <laughs> I'm so famous that I've got a freaking mountain range. No, I, this is, by the way, anyone who's enjoying this, this is like the best interview view that I've ever had. Usually I'm in like a, a hotel. If I'm not at home at my, on my like home studio, I'm like, you know, there's like a, you know, freaking uh, uh, some weird painting behind me, you know, that's in all of the hotel rooms in that hotel. Or like I'm in like a lobby or something. I, I this is, a, I think I, this is the moment. This is the, so Josh Smith, it, let it go down and, and let it be remembered forever that Josh Smith got, at least for now, the best Spike Cohen interview background that that's going right now. Um, it's weird. My entire life has been me saying, hey, guys, I'm here. And people going, that's great. And then I tell them and they go, oh, cool. So I started a web design business when I was 16. So I'm showing up to people's businesses. I'm showing up to, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, manu- uh, trade groups like you know uh, uh, associations of people that are in the same type of business and trying to sell my wares there and saying hey how about I become your official web designer and I give everyone a discount and I speak at your convention about stuff so I get more contracts and I go in and I would you know s- sell myself at pedal my wares and people are like who's this kid right and so then I retire from that and I get into politics so I start my podcast and my shows, and I'm like, hey, I'm Spike Cohen, and I've got a show. I'm talking about liberty stuff, but I don't really say it because I'm trying to talk to normies. And and people are watching, like, hey, who's this Spike guy? And I'm like, hey, here's who I am. And then I run for the uh, libertarian nomination. And at that point, a good number of the delegates knew I what well, you knew who I was, and uh, you know, a, a good number of the libertarians knew who I was. But there were still a good number of, of libertarian delegates who were like, Spike, what, who? <laughs> And so and then I'd explain that. Then I get the nomination and that set off a whole. Now there's hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Spike. <laughs> so then I say. And, and, and so now I'm kind of sort of busting mainstream or at least mainstream in, 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 in a libertarian world. You know, I'm on more national media and stuff. And now people are like, what the hell is Spike? Wow. No, that's bad. Ah, that was funny. So it's 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 sort of that same thing that I've been kind of going through most of pretty much all of my adult life, which is you know, going into things and people going, who the hell is this? And then I tell them and they go, oh, okay. All right. And so that's sort of where I am now. So it's, it's nothing, it's not new to me. It's kind of, it's kind of old hat at this point of people, I guess actually the new thing to me is showing up to stuff and everyone already knows who I am. So like headlining this event and having them say, oh, you know, people signed up after they heard that you came. That's new. That's the new thing is people like, you know, Oh, they already know me. Like I go into like um, at the Florida convention, at the Orlando convention, the national convention, I go out in the pool and people are chanting my name. And I'm like, this is new. Usually I come out to the pool and everyone's like, hey, what, what's up with your name? Like now it's, you know, now it's a new thing. So it's, it's interesting. But yeah, it's, it is, uh, it is fun to whatever extent I can leverage the attention I'm getting into talking to people about what they inherently know to be true, but no one else is getting in front of them to be able to tell them that in a, in a major way. Uh, that they are more smart than the people who claim authority over them, sure. that they, the things that they are saying, this doesn't line up, they don't line up, that the, the people that we routinely know are a bunch of frauds and cons and liars and idiots are not the right people to be running this. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right about that. And, and he, by the way, here's, here's something called libertarianism. 
And uh, this is why we think we can fix the problems that you're facing. To whatever extent I can do that, I'm more than happy to do. I'm honored to do it. I'm grateful to do it. So, so two things. Uh, one, you're welcome for the chant at the pool. I started that. I don't know if you were aware. Was that you? That was me. Was that you? That was me. Yeah. I did not. Know. Was, well, thank you. That me, was fun. Me in the caucus. I mean, there was a lot of Mises guys out there. A lot. I mean, it was it was oh, like yeah, yeah. it was well, like a was Mises a- party uh, pool party. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Two. If you really want to give Josh Smith of Break the Cycle the best Spike Cohen interview, you are you ready to tell the people what they really want to hear? Where's the mixtape, Spike? Oh no. Where is the um, mixtape? Okay, so here's the problem I've created for myself, Josh. <laughs> I have actually I have actually I played tracks from the mixtape to select people just so that they can say that it's real. And apparently people hearing from my wife that it's real is, is enough for them because I guess they don't believe me that there is a mixtape. Tasha I is did very trustworthy. So. I did play a track and drop a track from my mixtape, but it was the opening track, which is like a joke track. But it is a, it's, it is literally the first track on my mixtape. And it's uh, it's, well, it's like a cartoony thing from, a, from an adult swim cartoon. And the, here's the problem, Josh, and everyone watching this and listening. I want you to remember what late 90s and early 2000s hip hop was like, specifically like Eminem and Tupac and Wu-Tang and Fat Joe and Big Pun and like what the things they said. And now picture someone who was the vice presidential candidate for the third largest political party uh, and is now arguably one of the most or, or not arguably one of the, the most prominent figures in the party uh in media and and arguably right now the one getting the most attention but certainly one of them dropping a mixtape that is filled with vulgarity references to violence against women and minorities about seven thousand uses of the n-word and the b-word um and you know just really just generally what rap is but especially what like pre-social media cancel culture 90s 2000s hip-hop was um I'm trying to come up with an artful way to release it because I'd actually like to be able to be like, okay, well, if we can raise, you know, X amount of money for the such, you know, the party of whatever state or for the national party, or if we can get this many people elected, uh, then I'll, you know, I'll drop a track or two or something. But I'm, I'm having to figure out. So if anyone has any suggestions, you're welcome to, to inbox them to me. Um, I, I am trying to figure out an artful way to release what is a de facto extremely vulgar uh mixtape because it is you know 90s and 2000s hip-hop and some reggae a little bit of reggae but yeah no there's i'm not sure there's a single track on there that doesn't have the n-word at least five or six ten times again because it's hip-hop and that's you know it is what it is spike cohen the podcast host releasing it it had already been released we would have had fun with it now well now suggestions on how i can do that anyone want to drop any suggestions to me i'd be happy to hear now's a a good a time as any to let my followers and you know that there's also a cd out there somewhere of me doing a rap song with a member of the rbl posse from san francisco bay area named young thug and my brother who went by the name con man i did not say the n-word uh, but I definitely said some other things. And it is out there somewhere. You can maybe find this. And because of the things you said, you're at least slightly hesitant to, to put it out there because of that, right? Now, see, at least with mine, I wasn't the one rapping. Like, this is my mix. A lot of people thought, like, oh, Spike's dropping bars. No, I, I don't. You never hear me on it. I just remixed 
a bunch of songs that I liked and, you know, put in some beats that I liked and stuff like that. Pretty cool. I mean, I listen, I still listen to it. Um, it's on the phone that I'm using to record this right now. I'm on, it's on, so it's not like hidden to the world. I just, I, it's somewhere out there online. I'm not even hundred percent sure where it is online, but I do know it's somewhere out there. Um, because I have found it accidentally one time before, uh, searching for it, but, uh, I don't think anyone's going to find it unless I drop it. And yeah, I'm, huh, I, uh, maybe sh- this is the problem with casually mentioning things on a podcast is that now I'll casually mention something on a podcast and tens or hundreds of thousands of people will be talking about it like a, a week or a few days to a week or so later. And then months later when I'm like, surely they won't continue to talk about this. No, we're still here talking about the mixtape. So well, that's fun. Funk master flex spike. We appreciate you so much. What's next, <laughs> what's next for you, man? Uh, I will be in Wisconsin, uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for the Libertarian Party of Wisconsin uh, convention up there next weekend. Um, I will be, I think I have a bye week the following weekend, um, but I may we may be putting something together. The next thing I know I will be at is the California convention on the, I think, 15th. Um, then the following weekend, I will be in Colorado. Uh, I'm going to be later on, I'm going to be in Michigan. I'm going to be in Florida. I'm doing a shooting event uh, in Tampa uh, with uh, uh, Jack Lloyd and the philosopher uh, oh. in Tampa. We'll be doing a range event, a range day with Spike Cohen and uh, and uh, Jack and Foe. And uh, oh, man, there's just so much stuff going on. Here's what I can tell you. Follow me on my social media, on my Facebook, my uh, Twitter, my uh, Instagram and or my YouTube um, and, uh, I routinely update people with what I'm doing both in person and online, any major events I'm doing, any major, uh, media interviews I'm doing or anything like that. Um, I let people know I was doing this too. So, you know, that I, I'm, I, uh, I'm out here and, uh, I, uh, I'm just getting started and I'm really excited to see where we can go spreading the message of Liberty and I'm happy to be on. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, you know, I really appreciate Spike the activist and Spike the politician. But before that stuff, okay. you were Spike my friend. You know what I mean? And that's that's what I really love about you. You know. So uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, it was a great interview. Uh, I'm sure the people of Break the Cycle appreciate you being here. And uh, we really look forward to whatever comes next for Spike. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. Take it easy. All right, guys, another awesome interview. Uh, Spike's great, man. He's he really is a cool guy. Definitely go follow him. Uh, give him your support. Uh, he he's gonna tell it like it is, and he gets on Kennedy all the time now. I think it's like God. He's, he seems like he's on there every other week now. Must be great, man. Maybe someday they'll call me. I gotta get a hundred thousand followers. I think that's what it takes. But uh, anyways, thank you guys again for checking out another episode of Break the Cycle. Make sure that you check out. LaurenZotti.coffee for all your Italian coffee needs. TopLobsta.com for any kind of graphics you need. Pay this man. He deserves all of your money. And, of course, AnthemPlanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Let's check the schedule. Uh, Coming up on Tuesday, I have an awesome special show with Ace Arkist from Twitter. I'm very excited about this. This man is quickly becoming one of my favorite people in the entire movement. Uh, He's got a new podcast called Slurp Gang. Definitely check it out if you can. It is uh, not so politically slanted, but definitely hilarious and amazing. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it. I think Wednesday, Josh and Lane will be here. Josh Smith, if you watch the credits, is my name twin. Uh, He's one of the reasons why I was able to do this show. He was one of the first supporters of the show before it ever even became 
a show, so I'm very excited to have them on. Um, but yeah, I will see you guys on Tuesday for the Ace Arcus interview. Until then, don't forget to break the cycle. Due to legal reasons, I just have to explain The lyrics of my last song may seem to contain A violent call to action in the verse of the frame But I just spammed it in Minecraft The helicopter part was in reference to GTA 5 and the things you do So any violence you commit, I am not an excuse Because I just spammed it in Minecraft Lord Chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold Accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just meant it in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft There are nothing I mean, you know it No product in us gets close to COVID Holy shit, I think I'm a poet In Minecraft, in Minecraft